Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Road to Recovery podcast. This podcast is a platform for education, discussion, and conversations on mental health. I'm your host, Amira Shah, and in this podcast, you'll get to know more about the therapeutic process, insight into life from the perspective of the psyche, and also join me in exploring current issues with other practitioners. I specialize in grief, but I'm always interested in learning about the human experience of the mind, heart, and spirit. So join me on this journey of in-depth learning about ourselves and the world we live in. Welcome back to Science of the Soul. Today I have with me Scott Andrews. Scott is a traveling nurse and a Buddhist practitioner. My background with Scott goes towards our work together when we were both working in a humanitarian space. We worked with refugees once upon a time. I was a counselor and he was the um, the nurse, the, what, what was it, Scott? What was your uh, position? Yeah, the refugee, refugee health nurse, yeah. Refugee health nurse. And um, hi, Scott, thank you for doing this podcast with me. It's been a long time. I haven't even mm-hmm. seen you in over a year. Um, and yeah. thank you so much for your time. You are in mm. Western Australia now? Correct, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome to see and hear you again after a very long time. There's something always very comforting and fulfilling about reconnecting with an old friend. And like the hallmark to that is always that you just pick up where you left off, mm, even that's though true. a long time has elapsed and yeah, just we've just had a conversation prior to this starting, and it's yeah, it's great. It's so good to see and hear you again, and also to have that feeling of fulfillment from reconnecting with an old friend. Well said, well said. I was going to come up with warm and fuzzy, but well said. It is. It's like a warm, <laughs> fuzzy feeling. Yeah, yeah, you can smile and laugh yeah and and just uh all of those previous points of connection are still there and yeah it's great it's like putting on a favorite piece of clothing you know Mm. putting on your favorite t-shirt or your favorite jumper or something like that yeah (laughs) you know just for the um listeners my Mm. experience of um, working with and just being around and being a friend of you, Scott, um, it's always, and I was thinking about this this morning, actually, it was always very calming. I'm always learning something about people, myself, or the world, but not in a not in an not in an instructive way, but more in a very implicit way, just through hanging out. 
it's like through osmosis i become a better person <laughs> and um a better version of myself or a version of myself that i like or prefer sometimes mm-hmm. um and you know how people talk about you know you should surround yourself with those that make you better um mm-hmm. that is that is definitely something that came to my mind this morning um, when I was anticipating this podcast um, that being around you aside from it being fun, warm, awesome, unpredictable. Oh my God. Unpredictable. <laughs> it was, it, it's, it's always, it always leads towards some minute form of growth for me. yeah oh that's good it's like yeah, this it's cool feedback to have and it's like the feel that feeling is actually mutual uh because you're sort of you've got this intense focus on internal development so it's a nice reminder for me about my purpose and the meaning in my life so i think yeah i think that's sort of codependent that mm. um the way we interact in that way is sort of like being on a seesaw you know you mm. sort of go down and then I come up and and um, yeah our interactions and our conversations definitely hinge around uh, a really common focus mm. uh, even though we come from different we come at it from different angles and different directions yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it definitely feels very nurturing and um, helpful mm. and, uh, yeah, focusing mm. when I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely say the same thing. And that focusing, I think, also comes from your sense of attention like you pay attention. And this is the other thing that I remember. Um, working with you, I, I guess the, the, you know, when you, when you, when you have memories, they are filled with um, visuals and, and, and words and, you know, um, emotion, smells, things like that. And what really strikes me is um, just, you know, orbiting you <laughs> um for for listeners uh scott is very tall um and often i feel like i'm orbiting him <laughs> um and i'm not i'm not very short <laughs> i just feel like i'm orbiting him because <laughs> he just seems so tall to me um but the the, <laughs> the sense that i get the memories is that you are not particularly um, stressed by time. Time seems to be a rubber band concept to you because of your attention. Like five minutes of your attention can feel like an, like an, an hour because of the intensity and that focus. Um, so it just seems like it doesn't matter when... Scott rocks up because when it does when he does like <laughs> you feel like he's there for a really long time <laughs> is that effect 
Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. That's good. I had never thought about that before. Um, you make time slow down. <laughs> In a way. When you give your attention. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's, there's something to that. Make time slow down. Yeah, well, it's kind of like timeless, like a point of attention is timeless. Mm. When you focus on something, the time, it really does disappear. And yeah, if you take that into meditation, like making your focus of attention very subtle internal objects, mm. yeah, it's really, it, um, it's really meaningless, like, the concept of time because it just vanishes mm. altogether. Um, but I hadn't, I hadn't realized that sort of came out in my behavior. That's your vibe, but, yeah. Uh, and I think that's why, like, no one really minded if you rocked up to work late. It didn't feel like <laughs> <laughs> You know, like you've been there forever. <laughs> I think that's that, that's probably arguable. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> the Scott effect. <laughs> Time slows down. <laughs> we should write a song. A song about rocking yeah. up to work late. No, just about how when when you're around, time slows down, or people lose the concept of time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a power. It's, a, it's, it's a meditative superpower. You've somehow translated that into your 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 being, your manner that you know seeps into other people's experiences of you or experience of themselves being around you. That's pretty cool. Mm. Okay, the Pied Piper of time. Hmm. Okay, so enough about that. Can you tell us a little yeah, bit yeah. about you? Um, about your choice to be a traveling nurse, actually, because that is quite different mm. and how this fits in with your practice, your Buddhist practice. Mm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I came into nursing. Um, about 11 years ago and what actually brought me to nursing was trying to get away from uh, desk driven roles and managerial and administrative driven roles so previously I was qualified as a welfare worker and I moved through a lot of different areas of human services but all those pathways professional pathways were kind of taking me into management and an office space and sitting behind a desk and mm. uh, it's really not a not a environment in which i thrive um, mm. my productivity is not good my sense of gratification from the work is not uh, as high as when i'm interacting with other people mm. so i thought i'd add an extra set of skills um, not to abandon the human service 
uh, or the community development aspect, but um, to try and um, provide a point of focus for the future, like a vision for the future where I could combine um, the physical work with like the community development or the humanitarian side of it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and then I started nursing and I really fell in love with it. Like what I love about nursing is that um, you're physically active all day at work, mm. but you're very highly mentally engaged, clinically engaged. Um, but that there's this there's this aspect of service um, to the work. It's, it's like physical physical service. So even though at the end of a shift, you might be quite, you could be quite fatigued, quite exhausted, actually. Um, but there's, there's this overriding sense of happiness and fulfillment and gratification that you, you've actually done something inherently good and worthwhile. So that's has um, been a really good fit for me because I get that real sense of well-being from the work that I do. Um, but I realized pretty early on in my nursing career that there was a lot of different places and a lot of different specialties to nurse in. And I started looking into ways that I could move around uh, and travel throughout all those specialties and locations. And a lot of the nurses that I spoke to were quite uh, limited in their perspective and, and their approach to nursing. They thought, I'm just a, I'm an orthopedic nurse. Like that's what I specialize in. That's where I'm gonna stay. I'm a pediatric nurse. That's where mm -hmm. I'll stay. And I, I kind of didn't buy that. You know, I thought that doesn't really make sense to me because when, as nurses, we're not doctors, like we're not, you know, mm -hmm. consultants. Um, we don't have to do these intense specializing pathways. Mm. And as I just moved around the hospital I was in at that point and moved mm. between different floors, I realized that there's only to become really proficient and on top of your game as a nurse in a specialty, you really just have to brush up on the anatomy and physiology um, specific to that specialty and acquire probably a few more clinical competencies. So mm -hmm. like there's a few more things that you need to get going, like in terms of hand-eye coordination and uh, muscle memory and stuff. But once you've done that, it plateaus, and then you can really consolidate and, and really become efficient. Mm. And like that process for me, as I moved around, it's about three months. Like after three months in a specialty as a nurse, mm. it's pretty much because of the volume of patients uh, and the amount of work you get through in a shift, it's it consolidates it sort of plateaus and you're you you're ready for anything when you come to work so i thought what about 
more like setting sail and sort of fearlessly embracing the unknown of location and specialty. And, and that's when I just transferred out of permanent roles and into contract nursing. And my approach to contract nursing has been to travel as widely as I can. So, um, yeah, I've sort of developed this sense of job security and therefore financial security in the fact that I'm ready to go anywhere into any specialty in any location. And um, I have that approach that despite all the unknown of starting a new contract in a new location, I've got the skills to be able to deal with that. And mm. the skills around that are actually just, um, they're a bit different to just being permanent in a particular place. So some of the skills are finding what you need in a new environment very quickly. So uh, when you mm. rock up for your first shift, literally anything can be going down and often it is you know in terms of critical care or acute situations um, so learning having the skill of being able to orientate yourself yeah. to a new clinical environment or a new hospital and find what you need very quickly yeah that's a skill um, just being able to navigate um, yeah, like local politics and staff issues um, with, without getting pulled into them. Yeah, that's another skill that we have is like travel uh, contractors. Um, so yeah, overall though, it, it literally just requires this attitude of going, yeah, that's a bit of an unknown, it's natural mm -hmm. to develop some anxiety about that. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go mm -hmm. straight towards that. And uh, the towards more the you do that. Sorry. Yeah, go straight towards the anxiety. Yeah, yeah, and straight the towards the anxiety. stems from the unknown, not knowing. Yeah, the anxiety is just irrational because it's just unknown. It's like, what if, okay. what if, what if, you know? What if a you know a tiny baby comes in and they're not breathing and like how am I going to deal with that in that situation when I don't know the workplace and I don't know where anything is, like the mind can just proliferate on that endlessly, you know. Mm -hmm. But if you just go and do it, just experience it, and like back yourself in, you know, go like yeah I've done this before, mm -hmm. um, and I found everything and I dealt with the situation. Um, yeah, so it's like that sense of not really a sense of like bravado, but mm -hmm. a sense of like not backing down, not running away from the fear mm -hmm. go towards the situation and most effectively with a sense of love, with a sense of sort of boundless love for that situation, but for the fear itself too. You know? mm. um, Can you so, elaborate 
Well, in in my practice, the one of the most beautiful qualities, one of the most beautiful experiences available to us as human beings is this ability to love unconditionally. And um, that sense of love is the most potent and the most effective at unlocking and letting go of fear because it's what allows you to walk right up to it and see it for what it is. Mm. So any other approach, you know, if you'd go, yeah, I'm a tough guy, like I can, you know, mm. I can do this, you know, puff yourself up and walk up to something going, you know, you can't beat me, I'll beat you. Like uh, there's, still, there's still a barrier there when you're mm. encountering it. Uh, and it's using a sense of will and using a sense of will is really tiring to the mind mm. and it relies on a really strong sense of self or ego yeah. whereas so it's that's a completely different direction to be taking whereas a sense of love like true love not a transactional form of attachment but mm -hmm. like a boundless sense of love meaning that you can look at anyone or anything or any experience with the feeling that that thing that experience that person is your child mm. you know and that without knowing everything about it or what it could possibly do to you, that you love it unconditionally. Um, that's what is the precursor to understanding that thing or the experience or that person fully. So, yeah, so that for me is the most effective mechanism to letting go of fear, i.e. understanding what the fear is, like generating true insight into what the fear is. Yeah, it's this ability to walk straight up to it and put your arms around it and, and love it unconditionally because mm. it's what you're experiencing now. It's part of your present moment. Mm. Does this work? Like there's no other. Mm -hmm. Like to me, there's no higher meaning in life than to do that. Because uh, if you do that sincerely, authentically, uh, your all the distraction and all the clutter and all the miscellaneous debris of life is just swept to the side and you're, you're, you're embracing the present moment. You're embracing what you're experiencing in the present moment without any filter. Mm. Yeah, you're having it. If, you, if you're anyone that's looking for truth, 
the way I am, then there's literally nothing more important than that. I have a question. And mm. as you're speaking, um, I guess my I'm a visual person, so my understanding is often visually imagined. Um, and mm. what I imagine is fear as an object or an entity. And then your conscious self or your mind or your thoughts of love, filling yourself up with that and then going over and hugging it. Um, that's what I imagine, but how, how do you build that bridge towards that bridge of love towards the person or the experience or whatever mm. it is that we're trying to understand or not overcome, mm. but mm. yeah, I guess, mm. understand. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a fairly rigorous investigation. And uh, as a byproduct, development, development of mindfulness about your intention, about intention. Hang on. I'm just going to run, run out of battery. Hang on. Okay. Uh, so being aware, like becoming more aware, more aware, more aware of your, of intentions. So mm -hmm. what is my motivation? What is my intention? What is my motivation? What is my attention? developing a really strong sense of mindfulness around what you're doing and why you're doing it, that's what builds the bridge, okay? Because okay. Uh, it's not just when I'm talking about love, it's, just, it's not just a concept, you know, it's, it's not just a sense of a few words or a mantra that you're repeating to yourself. It's like a thousand percent, you know, the whole of your being, what you take yourself to be, you know, your consciousness and, mani and manifesting physically as a feeling the undeniable sense that you do love completely the object of your awareness. Yeah. Do you do that so, through thought, through imagery, through questioning? I guess that that's, yeah, I guess I'm trying to ask you in a more practical fashion in order yeah. to imagine yeah. doing it myself. Sure. Yeah, I, I think like getting a sense of the potency of that is really important because otherwise it ends up just as, you know, an esoteric exercise, you know, or something that's academic, 
Yeah. And it's completely not. It's a feeling, you know, it's an attitude. It's a perception. So if, uh, you know, that's where experience really is key. Um, so having that experience of what happens when you do love something or someone completely and when I'm saying completely like there's no transaction there's no attachment mm. that's involved with that feeling it's like the door of my heart is open to you no matter where you go no matter what you do in the past the present the future you know there's no filter there's no barrier to you accessing this love. There's no comebacks. There's not going to be any regret. This is a pure, this is a pure feeling. So basically, if you can have that experience of that feeling towards something like a fear, and then see the effect of it mm -hmm. and understand the way that happened internally, then that's where you start to develop the muscle to be able to repeat it and do it over again and apply it, you know, yeah. to different situations. You know, we were talking before this started about going, what am I afraid of? Like actually starting to look for it. What am I afraid of? Mm -hmm. Ah, that's what I need to love. Okay. I need to love that thing, you know, like it's my tiny, you know, two-year-old child, you know, yeah. my one-year-old child, my newborn baby, something that's completely hopeless, that ne needs my unconditional care and affection, that needs me to protect it from the world, you know. And so then, of course, you know, it's, a, it's your baby, you know, you're going to go over there, you're going to hold it in your arms, and you're going to stop it from being hurt, you know. And then, yeah, that's when you, mm. that's when you make the breakthroughs, because then you realize that the fear that you had was completely irrational. And more than that, it's completely disappeared. Because the thing that you feared is this helpless little baby in your arms. So mm. how can you be afraid of that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's your child. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting now that you, you, you know, that you kept talking. Um, mm. To me, what you just said um, when you explained um, the newborn baby, the concept of using the newborn baby as a way to relate to that, fearful part um but that's the thing it, it, that I, I guess that's how i'm trying to relate to what you're saying um from my trainings and my understanding of mm -hmm. the mind and the psyche and we call that maybe i'm wrong barking up the wrong tree but we call that parts work or some some someone called this sort of work also in internal family systems but essentially we're, we're built of there are diff 
we are a sum of different parts, but maybe we're not. But we have these parts within us that might be stuck at a certain time, a certain age, um, and kind of like fractured away from our like wise self um, and our current age and mind, which is why we, when we experience a certain, um, where we're being triggered and we experience certain emotional reactions that we know on one part of our mind that we just, it does not make sense. But yet that emotional part still needs to be heard, needs to be seen, needs that comforting. And it just doesn't make sense why you know everything that you, you understand, you know everything about it, but you still can't soothe it. And I guess when you talk about, you know, a newborn baby, um, it makes me think of parts work or internal family systems, which is essentially something quite similar, um, where we talk to these parts and we approach them with, with wisdom and with love. And we allow them to say what they need to say. And we release them from the time that they're stuck in, whether it's, you know, a baby or a two-year-old or a 20-year-old from when that, that time, that part fractured off from our whole being self. And, and by doing that, we kind of dissolve that part and reintegrate it into a whole self, a whole wise adult self. Don't know if that makes sense um, to what, you know, relating to what, to what you're saying, but in, in parts of work, we always talk to our parts with love and we want to hear from those parts. We allow them a chance mm. to speak and to express themselves. And then mm. um, we love them back. We embrace them into a whole mm. self. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think the, the um, accepting, you know, the letting go happens when, when that sincere acceptance and sense of contentment mm. is there. So being content with the way you are, mm. being content with uh, your past conditioning, mm. uh, accepting everything that has come before, yeah. uh, that's brought you to this moment uh, and loving it unconditionally yeah. because it has, it has conditioned this moment. Yeah, this is, it sounds like the same thing to me. Mm. Mm. Yeah, is it? Yeah, it's so, starting to brighten up this fuzzy <laughs> image in my mind initially. Mm, yeah. Yeah, thank you for um, that. Mm. And I have another question now with being mindful about intention and mm. being more aware of your intentions and your motivations and projecting love. Um, I'm not projecting, but utilizing love or having love arise within you um 
is that more energy consumption or less energy consumption than basing something with ego and why and why not oh mm. before you yeah. answer that before you answer that mm. um i'm not sure if listeners are able to hear there's a bit of a background noise um, can you hear noise on your i can phone? hear oh from my mm. side no i can't hear any noise okay that's only on my side then um mm -hmm. i believe the tv is on or something like that um, so excuse this the background noise but everyone's happy doing their own thing so if it's not bothering anybody should be okay now I left off with a question. Yes, love versus ego. What uses more energy? Mm. You said that you know, yeah. with ego you use more yeah. energy. Yeah, yeah. So using, like, so coming back, we sort of I made a sort of polarity earlier about approaching a fear or approaching an anxiety with a sense of bravado and using the will using the sense of will and ego to overcome it. Yes, it definitely uses a lot of energy. It's very exhausting. Um, and there might be a sense of, um, Sorry, why is that? Because the, the will requires this a belief in in the self and a belief in the ego and it needs to be it's like a ravenous creature like it constantly needs to be fed and maintained mm, um, true oh my god yeah it does it's like trying to build them like an actual muscle oh, like yeah. trying to generate muscle muscle mass you know like you need to be constantly feeding it yeah the right stuff um and so true. Uh, it's also like there's an element of force which goes with it you're forcing yourself to overcome the fear or the anxiety you're forcing that fear and anxiety to not exist and the problem with that, when you're dealing with fear, is that sometimes it backfires, you know, with that sense of will, that sense of force. Sometimes mm. it just fights back and it gets bigger. Mm. Whereas if you can empower yourself with, the ability to feel love mm -hmm. towards literally anything that you're experiencing, that doesn't consume any energy at all. In fact, it actually generates energy that you can, you can go face to face with any fear, anything you fear, 
or are anxious about for hours or days at a time and just generate more and more energy. Mm. Can you give me an example? I understand it, but just for, you know, for the sake of something practical to relate to. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Science of the Soul. This is a short interruption to let you know that if you or someone you know are in need of more support, you can find me at Road to Recovery on my Facebook page, my Instagram, or my website at aroadtorecovery.org. I hope you've enjoyed listening so far. And now let's get back to the podcast. So just carrying on where we left off, we were talking about the uh, difference between facing fear using a sense of will or ego versus facing fear with a sense of love and embracing it in a pure, unconditional way and exploring the idea of um, using, engaging the intellect and mm. whether that is also um, activating the sense of will or ego and or whether that can be done through love. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think I think it definitely can. It's, I think there's a general reaction like we're trained uh, through a justice paradigm, through the educational systems that we, we grow up with to engage. The ego is very much attached to the sense of intellect. But mm. I feel like we can access the wisdom built through the intellect um, with love with a sense of already letting go um, and just letting that knowledge come to the fore trusting the mind trusting mm -hmm. the empty processes that allow us to access knowledge trusting that that will come to the fore at the right moment and be of use in the right moment um, so, yeah, I don't think accessing intellect or learning always has to be a sense of will or ego, but mm -hmm. I think that we're just trained um, to engage with it in that way, to engage with the process of learning mm. in, um, by activating the sense of self. Um, so, yeah, it's very different. It's a very different machination to what I'm talking about with a pure, unbounded sense of love. And I don't have an academic background in any of this. Mm -hmm. Basically, the, my point of view, my perspective is just from spending very long periods of time in nature watching my own mind. So I'm really just trying to give words to a feeling or an observation 
of something that's worked for me, you know? So, um, you know, in, in sort of spiritual lingo, you know, like those aha moments, those breakthrough moments when you realize, oh, this led to that. So, yeah, just it, this is just the way I put it, that I find that if I look for fear, if I look for anxiety, and then go towards it with a pure sense of love, mm. th that leads to insight, that leads to letting go. And that's how I grow, mm. you know. So that's just me putting words to something that I've experienced, something that I've found that works for me, you know, mm. in terms of understanding consciousness and making sense of existence. Um, so... Mm to bring it all back to the original question about what takes more energy. It's like, yeah, this doing that with a pure sense of love over and over again, it, it doesn't use any energy. It just, it just provides energy. You know, it's the antithesis to the normal paradigm that we have with regards to effort, achievement and exhaustion. You know, like it doesn't work that way with love, you know. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's you, you far surpass any kind of realm that you would think about sort of um, um, achieving or, or gaining or winning you know you far surpass anything uh of that sort with love you know and you end up with more energy than you could possibly imagine you know like it's almost like can i take any more like this is it's mm. you know it's too much energy you know and of course you can always take more love like you can it's uh, um, so you start reaching these limitless states, you know, of is there anything more blissful? Is there anything, you know, more powerful than this? And there is, you know. So, um, yeah, completely di different direction than mm -hmm. using using the ego or using the will yeah um, and it's exercising that choice repeatedly to step away from mm -hmm. engaging with the ego using will and mm -hmm. instead reverting mm -hmm. to using love um where mm -hmm. wherever we feel like this is something i need mm -hmm. to confront or conquer and then instead approach it with with love and then that itself generates its own energy but i sometimes maybe i'm i'm misunderstanding but please correct me i sometimes 
wonder if just getting to the point of giving rise to the love or exercising mm-hmm. um, the love itself, some cognitive processes need to you know, occur. There are some mm-hmm. things that we need mm-hmm. to unlearn because our pattern has been mm-hmm. you know, otherwise. And mm-hmm. within that and developing insight, we ask ourselves, you know, what is this about, right? In order to, to, to learn more about it. And when we do quite a bit of that, there is a level of mental exhaustion. Yeah. So is that something that's quite temporary or is that something that gets easier to sustain Mm. rather than always exercising the ego, the energy from the ego Mm. where, you know, over time you are, you've built the muscle, you've, you know, you kind of know how to navigate using love uh as a tool mm. um and mm. embodying it you know to 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 get through or understand um challenges or fears does that just get easier with time because it's practice mm. Mm. yeah yeah it's uh, it's cause and effect you know and it's yeah there is an element of knowing the territory but Mm. um yeah life isn't like that you know i mean it it does become a way of life mm-hmm. you know understanding that that you know taking up a taking it up as a purpose for living you know like that's a that's a major kind of breakthrough so it means that you're actually looking yeah you are you're consciously looking for that experience and that opportunity, you know, to generate mm. love. But you don't wake up like that in the morning, you know. That, that you know, I mean, yeah, sometimes, sometimes that sense of love is there first thing in the morning, but often it's not, you mm. know. Um, often the mind is at a really base level first thing in the morning, easy mm. to you know, fall into thoughts of irritation. Yeah. You know, lust, um, uh, sadness. You're very, Mm. well, I'm very susceptible first thing in the morning, you know. Um, I'm sharper after a cup of, of, you know, a cold shower and a cup of coffee. Yeah. Mm. Then I, then I can, I have more sway over the direction that my mind goes. Yeah. Mm um but yeah not first thing um yeah. so and then you know there's the conditioning of the day like you know what are you exposed to you know throughout the day it's, it's uh you know once again what i'm referring to is a contemplative process you know where you do have the time and space to um to influence you know the direction that the mind's going um but if you don't get that chance and you're overwhelmed by other forces and other factors busyness stress uh you know people Mm. whatever it is traffic animals Mm. crowds 
uh, yeah, if if that practice isn't really really strong, then it may be it may be there may be a, a significant amount of time before you can return to that contemplation to um, to influencing your mind in that direction. So, yeah, it is. It's there's an aspect of knowing the territory. And then remembering that that's, that's, you know, the direction that you want to go, mm. you know, and then actually creating the conditions for it to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not like I'm not talking about an idea or something that you can just say and, and, and make it happen. I, I'm talking about, you know, if you imagine the mind like a tree, you know, and you want the tree to lean in a particular direction. Yeah. Well, you, you need like consistent force for that to occur. You need the wind to blow from this direction, you know, say mm. from right to left, you know, you need it to blow in that direction consistently yeah. for the tree to lean that way, you know, or you need the mountain that it's growing on to sort of be angling it that way. You know, yeah. whatever the case may be, you'll need some consistent force for that yeah. tree to lean that way. Uh, and so that's that's the way it is with the mind. Like, yeah, there needs to be consistent awareness of um, of that. Like I was saying earlier, the experience is really the key. You know, if you have that experience, then that's when you get a very clear, deep insight, ah, that's that's a really meaningful thing. Like that's mm. how I want to live my life. You know, that is, you know, foremost in my experiences. You know, um, that you know that has real purpose to it. So, like, um, which is quite different to just say listening to a podcast or. Mm. Um, you know, re reading something in a book, like if you yeah. experience something internally for yourself and understand the cause and effect nature of that, well, it's like, oh, wow, like that's something I want to keep doing, you know, like mm. that has got that has got meaning to me. Yeah, so, with, the, with an experiential yeah. learning, it's it's hard to shake off and it's hard to forget mm. it has more of a recency effect long a longer recency effect for us to yeah. kind of sit down and go like I really need to do something about this but even before we get to that point of wanting to make a decision or make choices to create opportunities mm. or environments or circumstances for you know our mind to lean towards that way as a tree um mm. um analogy just now it's trusting yourself I think that that experience you've had is one that is profound and is a lesson for you to learn from and to take forth um, so being able to trust the self I guess that it's going in that direction and the reason why I'm thinking of this is, you know, with, with my background, 
my faith mm-hmm. background, um, being raised mm-hmm. Muslim, um, and being around the people who, you know, like my family members, my aunties, who were from time to time, more often than not, they would feel doubt about whether Mm. they should trust a feeling or a process or an experience. And that doubt Mm. can only be resolved or soothed um, by referring to dogma or speaking to an Mm. elder or a clergy or something, someone of that, you know, religious authority. Um, Mm. And a lot of the time, even though I was very young at that time, I was probably like a kid or a teenager. I just could not understand why they couldn't just go with it. (laughs) Just go with it, just trust it. But there was a lot of Mm. fear and doubt around their own spiritual experiences and fear Mm from straying and and fear that they've got the wrong message or that something has gone wrong somewhere. So they needed a guru or something to refer to as a reference or a book. And I can understand the value of that, but Mm. I feel that that mistrusting of the self or I guess moving away from intuition, it's kind of, like the opposite of what we're going for in spiritual development. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's like the difference if you go to a restaurant, right? Like the difference between the menu and the food. Mm-hmm. Mm. I know you love I know you love making food and eating <laughs> great food, you know. So I know that your palate is incredible and your ability to make good food is widely known. <laughs> you know, but I've never seen you eat a menu. I've never seen you offer a menu to someone and ask them to eat it you know and it's the same when you go to a restaurant like they come out you sit at your table the waitress comes out or the waiter comes out and gives you a menu Mm -hmm. so so we don't start eating the menu (laughs) we order (laughs) we order the food and then we eat the food and the food gives us you know it gives us this whole whole experience you know we get the taste, we get the smell, the flavor, we get the feeling in our, in our body. And, um, you know, what, whatever other effects, you know, come from gastronomic delights. <laughs> uh, but, but the food also satisfies us and stops us from feeling hungry. And mm. it gives us nutrition in the body. But the menu doesn't do that. No, it <laughs> gives you a glimpse of it. paper. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to cause problems for me. It, it gives you expectations. 
<laughs> that's what it does it does yeah so like um i think maybe in some instances some dogma like maybe it could be useful mm. like i guess it depends where the dogma is coming from like who wrote mm. the book who's giving the teaching mm. it could be useful as a signpost yeah you know like as a direction finder like as a navigation tool you know because you walk into a restaurant like you kind of don't know where the good food is or like what the dishes are called but the mm. menu actually gives you that it's kind of like oh yeah go over here like it, you want some mm. protein like it's on this page like order yeah. that you know like that's the thing the menu is not the food so like yeah perhaps like the dogma and the teacher yeah they can be useful as signposts they can be useful as as menus you know but the real food is the experience because well, that's what's going to give you the satisfaction satisfaction yeah do you trust that the experience you're having is the experience yeah good not question that. yeah i like there, it comes really back to what we started with right at the beginning when we're talking about intention and motivation. So what, what are you doing and why? Mm. Um, so for me, like looking for meaning in existence, you know, I quickly realized that I was looking for peace and calm and wisdom you know and then when i get little tastes of that it's like i oh, yeah, that's what i'm looking for and so identifying that really that it really cultures and cultivates your intention and your motivation you know so even you what though you might wake up blurry in the morning it's kind of like yeah and I, I still know what i'm looking for yeah. You know? Yeah. So that when you experience it, it's like, ah, that's it. That's mm -hmm. okay. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking that, for that, that feeling of letting go. Yeah. So like all of this doesn't happen in a nutshell. Um, and in terms of navigating menus, mm -hmm. you know, or, or navigating teachers, it really helps, you know? Mm -hmm. Because if you're looking for a steak, you know, you don't go to a vegetarian restaurant, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So you need to go to a steakhouse and then you'll see that on the menu. Um, so, and that's the thing. There's a lot of restaurants out there with a lot of different menus. Yeah. So there's a lot of teachers out there with a lot of different teachings. Um, um, uh, so, yeah, having a clear a clear sense of what you're looking for, yeah, it's kind of important. Yeah, so that's your guiding spirit or your guiding light, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And well, the more you beautiful. taste it, the more you get familiar with it, and the more you know how to find it. Mm. Yeah.
Um, so, yeah, it's like when you find a good restaurant, I'm staying with the metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> like you, can, you, you know how to get there, right? You know where it is. You know, you know who works there. You know what food they serve. Yeah, yeah. So you keep going back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a beautiful um, kind of circle that we've gone around today um, in our yeah. conversation. Um, and, you know, as we speak, I tend to doodle. I'm a doodler. Um, and, mm. you know, whatever words that, <laughs> that I'll show you my doodle. <laughs> whatever words that come up, I just start like writing it mind mindlessly um intentionlessly <laughs> if that's even a word um, and then I start drawing around it and then what how I realized we've kind of gone full circle is through my doodles and the words okay. I scribble so thank you mm. very much um for your time for your wisdom and mm. for catching up with me as well like it's mm it's been great i missed i've missed our conversations yeah yeah i agree yeah it's been really helpful for me it's a really timely reminder and charging point for me yeah mm. oh, i'm glad thank I'm glad. you yeah so i guess we'll sign off here for today thank yep. you for tuning in thank you so much scott for your time um, and your wise words and I look forward to the next time we speak again lots of love lots of love bye bye